Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Professional AF. I am Diana Kander, excited to have you here for an amazing conversation with Andrea Waltz and her Go For No philosophy book, website, quiz, we're going to cover it all. You know, it's funny, this is going to be a short interview, but probably one of the best podcast conversations I've ever had on the subject of sales, which I'm very, very passionate about. And no matter what you do for a living, this interview is going to help you get much higher results through this go for no philosophy. This little book, it's like a hundred pages long, has sold almost 1 million copies, has over a thousand five-star reviews on Amazon. And as you can tell, packs a very powerful punch. Andrea and I are going to discuss why creating go-for-no moments in your life is so valuable. But before we do, please take a minute to subscribe to the show and submit a review. This is a silly goal, but we're close to almost 400 reviews for the show, and I just want to cross that milestone. So thanks so much for all your thoughts and your comments on the previous episodes, and please enjoy this conversation with Andrea Waltz. I'm spending um, this this time designing this course on failure uh, for a university MBA program, and I wanted to explore all the different ways that groups teach and talk about it, like athletes teach it in one way, artists, the military. And I found your book when I was exploring how salespeople train failure. And, you know, everybody out there says failure is something that you have to overcome. It's a necessary evil. And your book said the exact opposite. So can you just give us a short description of the go for no philosophy? Yes. So go for no is all about intentionally increasing your failure rate to fail more often, knowing that through those failures, those are where the successes lie. Those are where the yeses lie. If you want to hear more yeses in your life, you need to hear more no's. I mean, such a profound concept that you should seek out no. So I, I want to thank you for writing the book. Sometimes you read like a 120 page book and it changes your entire paradigm with just one idea. And for me, the biggest idea from the book was this visual that you created where you put me in the middle and I see success on one side of me and failure on the other side of me. And I see them as polar opposites. And you write, you know, like the closer you get to failure, the further you are from success. And the closer you get to success, the further you are from failure. Like, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And actually, like, you draw this simple picture where it has me, and then it's failures in between me and success. And it was like, like, of course, that's what it is. Yeah, well, and that's that those two models are kind of, I mean, those are the models from which we all operate. And we're, we all, and this is the distressing part, Diana, is we all get taught and trained and brought up with the first model that you just described, right? Where we're in the middle and we 
feel like success and failure are like opposites. Really, we say they're opposite sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other, but we, we get raised like they're choices where we say like, oh, I, I want to be successful. I don't, I don't want to fail. And so we keep them at opposite ends where really, as you described, it's, it's embracing those rejections, those no's, those failures as a part of the process rather than trying to, you know, have them on these, these polar opposites and on these, this side of us, because when we do that, then instead of kind of seeking success, what we do is spend a lot of time worried and trying to avoid failure, right? And trying to avoid uh, messing up and judgment and all of these things. And so we spend so much time dealing with failure that we're never moving towards success. If we just embraced those failures and said, hey, we're going to mess up, we're going, this could be embarrassing, we might be judged, but on the other side of those failures is that success are those yeses, then we move through them. I think people who are successful do a disservice to everybody else. They just want to get past those failures. So they never talk about them. So people looking at them are like, no, it's possible. You just have one genius idea after another with nothing in between. And in reality, I don't know anybody who's successful that doesn't actually have more failures than successes. Absolutely. I mean, we've published many books. We're most we're best known for this book, Go For No. We have some epic failures. In fact, we wrote a book on books called Million Dollar Book Formula to teach people. And I like to joke that it's about us monetizing our failures because what we what we actually do in this book is show people, okay, yes, we wrote this great little book called Go For No has been very successful, um, which itself actually has a string of failures leading up to its success. But we also wrote a bunch of books that were epic failures. And here's what they were. And here's why they were failures. And we actually analyzed them. And so now I'm sharing my secrets of all these failures to people who want to write books so that they can learn from these failures and say, oh, okay, here's what they did for a book that was successful. Here's what they did on the books that were these epic failures, maybe I can take these secrets and apply them to the book I want to write and be more successful. So yeah, I wish more people, I think it, I think it's helpful for people who quote unquote have had a success, whether they're, they're successes in everything they do, or they have a successful thing. Like we have, we have created this thing that's been successful, but show people like, look at all of these other failures and let's, let's analyze them and let's learn from them. And if you're really smart, you can monetize your failures <laughs> and actually, you know, make some money teaching people don't do this. I had an idea once for a book called a hundred ways not to fire someone just based on my own personal experiences of doing it literally every incorrect possible way. So well, I, I will tell you one thing, just from somebody who studies book titles um, and failure together, that is the perfect combination. That's a great book. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great book because by learning all those ways, of course, at the end, you would say now, based on all of these are all the things you don't want to do. Now, here's the proper way to do it, right? Yeah. Well, what's the biggest pushback that you get on the idea? <sighs> um, a couple. I mean, first of all, there's just the phrase go for no. People say like, oh, you know, yeah. Why right. would I want to, I want to hear yes. Why would I want to go for no? That's ridiculous. And of course we always say like, you're not hoping, wishing, praying to hear the word no. You're not secretly going to sabotage yourself, but it is though in those moments where you say, um, gosh, I could walk into my boss's office right now and, and just ask this question 
And he or she may say no to me, but it's worth it. I'm going to go for no. I'm just going to, I'm going to take that chance. And so that's what it's all about is taking, taking those go for no moments in your life and in, in, in your work life and your career and, and executing on them. And, and just seeing what happens as opposed to staying away from it. So the biggest pushback is, and we've created a fantastic marketing challenge for ourselves by <laughs> having something that people have this knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And then, uh, so that's that's the one thing. And then probably the second thing is that I think that there's some pushback and has been uh, because we've been talking about this for about twenty years now. So I've kind of seen seen the ebbs and flows of. The failure movement, and there, there is kind of this failure movement of failure is good, and yeah, like you're doing this great project, and we're trying to desensitize people to the word and to the fact that you are, you are not a failure. You might do things that fail, um, but still, I think sometimes people have this knee-jerk reaction, like, well, you're stop romanticizing failure, and failure is horrible, <laughs> and you know, and and obviously, we don't want. You know, it's one thing to fail for failure's sake. Like we're not just, this is never about being sloppy. Um, It's never like, hey, you know, I have an idea. Let's build a jet, put a bunch of people on it and just take take it off and and hope that everything that we, you know, put together. And if it fails, so be it. Not not, not a big (laughs) deal, right? We don't want to do that. Um, And and yet um, even NASA, I think they talk about, you know, the idea that failure is an integral part of what they do and they test and test and test and they have all of those failures along the way so that when it does come down to it, um, they have executed everything and they've failed constantly so that when push comes to shove, they can be successful. You know, I think that's just naturally where our brain goes. Like, yeah, this can definitely apply in 99% of my life. But say I'm a brain surgeon, I don't want to go for failure and hurting people. So I'm going to bring up this one teeny tiny example and ignore the fact that this could literally change my life if I adopt it in every other part of it. Exactly. And, and sometimes it's just because it's uncomfortable. You know, it is uncomfortable and we have um, we are fighting kind of how we've been raised. And there's a lot of um, ego and I think protective kind of nature to how we want to look to other people. And we don't want to have to show our failures and be be vulnerable and all of these things. So there's this pushback, oh, failure is dumb and you're an idiot, you know? Um, (laughs) And it's kind of like, well, no, wait a minute. Like it's, it's actually, it's the human condition. We all fail constantly. Some of us more than others and look at look at the value that it brings and the gifts that it brings, not from doing stupid, sabotaging things that hurt people, but to fail intelligently, as Thomas Edison said. Do you think that one of the roadblocks for people is that they just haven't heard the word no enough? Like we basically have to create antibodies in our bodies. Like there's all these people who create challenges to go out there and just get rejected publicly to, to get more comfortable with it. Is that the secret to why we feel so icky about it? Absolutely. That that is huge. And not many people, I haven't heard that many people say it. Um, There's kind of a phrase that we like to say, numb yourself to know the more you do it, the more that it loses its power over you. We talked about that in the book. And 
we were really good at it as kids, like, right, all of us and people who have children know, like, your kid is like, no is means nothing. In fact, no is no is just like an exciting challenge. Like, oh, my mom just said no for the third time. Now I get to get really creative. I'm going to go ask dad, or I'm going to do something really wild. And because this no I will break down, I will break her down. I will break through this no, right? It brings out creativity in, in kids. But for adults, of course, it's like we have this, um, have all of this, I think, identity tied up in whether we get a no or a yes. And one of the things I talk about a lot is um, not trying to find validation, especially in the world of sales, which you know is my niche, but not trying to get validated through other people's decisions, whether they say yes or no, like trying to, oh, they said yes, that means I'm good. No, <laughs> <laughs> they said no, that means I'm bad. Yeah. No, you can't be looking for validation there. So is it when we go out and experiment, say, let's just see how many no's we can get, like crazy things, right? Um, and this guy, Jia Jing, who wrote this book, Rejection Proof, who did all of these great experiments and went out and, and got rejected with all different things over a 100-day period, or 100 rejections. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but he was asking for all of these things so that in doing that, he would increase his courage and confidence. It's super powerful because we tend not to shy away. And that has to do with just not wanting to be judged and all of those things. Well, one of my favorite stories online about the success of your book, which is now sold hundreds of thousands of copies. I want to say 400,000. That's the last number I saw, but I'm sure it's even higher than that now. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're big in um, India. We've been pirated quite a bit. So <laughs> I, that number could be doubled as far as I know. Wow. <laughs> So, so you wrote this book, you're feeling really good. This is like the story of creating anything at work. You print 5,000 copies, you send 500 of them to the biggest companies in the country, and then you get your pen and paper ready to take orders by the phone. And what happens next? Yeah, literally nothing. Literally <laughs> nothing. So, so we were convinced, and we actually thought, like, we, okay, we have something good here, right? This, this is this is a good book, but um, we struggled for a couple of years, and then um, with, with literally nothing because we bootstrapped it, and we we of course didn't know what we were doing, and then we give the book to this guy um, named Tom at this uh, book sales marketing conference, hand him a copy of the book. He calls us a couple days later and he's like, Hey, I want you guys to know. First of all, he says, are you open to feedback? And we're like, yeah, we're open to feedback. Right. And he goes, you have, you guys have written one of the best sales books. Like I've ever read, like this is one of the greatest sales books ever with the worst cover in the history of publishing. <laughs> so he said, so talk about a failure. And we were like, really? And he goes, yeah. So if you guys could change the cover, like maybe actually hire a like legitimate cover designer instead of doing this on Word on your own computer. Um, <laughs> he said, I will buy 5,000 copies from you. So we were like, yes, new cover. And that was a huge change for us. We redid the cover. Um, the book started selling. We did it really well for a couple of years. And then we had our another big failure, which was um, having Simon & Schuster almost... Uh, take the book wide and put it into bookstores. And we were waiting at the fax machine for our offer from Simon & Schuster to publish this book, which is pretty rare for a book um, publisher to take a self-published book, but it does happen every now and then where they will take a self-published book and, and you know, make it 
national and get it into bookstores and all of that. So we're waiting, waiting. Finally, nothing happens. Like our offer does not come through the fax machine. And we call our agent. We're like, where's the offer? It was supposed to be this morning. He's like, hang on, let me, I'll call you back. I'll let you know. He calls back and he goes, well, they decided at the last minute to pull the plug. You guys don't have a big enough platform and you guys will probably never sell, you know, more than 5,000 books for them. So we were like, all right, fine. Now we're going to make this a success. <laughs> That's amazing. So one huge concept in the book is that you should keep asking until somebody says no. Can you explain the concept? Like you shouldn't be happy until you get a no. Yes. And so, well, there's a couple different aspects to this. The fundamental idea in the book, and we tell this story about a guy who's selling clothing for a living and he sells that he has this great sale. Um, the customer never says no. The customer buys everything he's shown. And the district manager asks the salesperson, who in this case happens to be my husband, Richard, he asks him, what is that? What did that customer say no to? And Richard said, nothing. I have this great sale. Everything I showed this guy, he bought. He's like, I'm a genius. I can sell anything. Exactly. I sold everything. I sold everything. <laughs> and then his district manager said, well, then how did you, if you never heard no, how did you know he was done? And how he knew he was done was that he had kind of hit... Richard's mental spending limit. This customer had really hit his mental spending limit. So this idea came from this, this, you know, transaction where he never heard the word no. And so until you hear the word no in a, in a sale, for example, you should fundamentally keep asking and, and keep suggesting. And until if people are saying, yes, I'll take it. Yes, I'll take it. Yes, I'll take it. Then you keep asking. And that, that is, that is the sales concept. Um, this concept again, Diana can be applied to anything, you know, actors and actresses who have to go on auditions. They, they have to hear no over and over and over again. Sometimes they might hear no um, for the same role uh, over and over. Sometimes they'll be trying to get on this one TV show and they'll get a no for this role and they'll get a no for this role, but they'll get a yes for some other role. I mean, it is, con- you know, this idea of, of being persistent is what it is, is, is pervasive and you can take it in any business industry. Life persistence is one of the keys to success. My husband and I inadvertently did this. He was running for political office. It was his first campaign. We went to 20,000 doors and we had this whole process where we would keep asking them to do stuff for the campaign until they said no. So we would say like, hey, can we put up a yard sign? And if they said yes, then we'd say, oh, can we have your email address? And if they gave us their email, we'd say, um, would you like to make a contribution? Would you like to have an event at your house? We had like a whole long list of things we would ask and we were going to keep asking until they're like, no, that's all right. And I, I just didn't understand the power of it until I read about it in the book. That's genius. And if you think <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, yeah, there's nowhere, listen, nowhere in life do you fail um, more than I think in politics, especially <laughs> when you are running for something like that. And you guys, that's genius. I mean, that is go for no in its essence is just ask, ask, ask. And certainly if you get somebody who's like, yeah, you know, put your side up and yeah, sure. Okay. I'll donate. It's like, wait a minute. Why would I give up now? And this person seems like they're right. interested they're in into our, it. <laughs> yeah. Let's have an event. Who else do you know? Right. This person right. probably is friends, people who, who think like them and have the same kind of, um, you know, ideas as them in terms of what they want to see happen in the community or whatever. So yeah, this is the, the ideal prospect. And so many people will get the yard sign. Yes. And be like, I killed it. And I don't want to ask for anything else because I don't want to feel that I want to 
keep being on good terms. Well, we were on great terms with everybody, but we got, you know, so much more help from individuals who wanted to do more, but they just needed to be asked. Well, and that you bring up a really important point. This is probably the biggest thing, the fear that I see with people um, in relationship to this idea, which is, well, I don't want to be that pushy, aggressive person. You know, I don't want to um, step over the line. And the problem with stepping over the line with people is that, the line is invisible, like for everybody. So it would be great if everybody walked around with lines. <laughs> then we could we could always know, like, oh, I don't have to step over the line with this person because I it's on the floor. I can see her line. There it is, right? I won't step over it, but it's invisible. So we never know where the, that line is, and so we always stand so far back that we never maximize our own potential. And I tell people all the time, if you are doing things, especially from a sales standpoint, or even from anything else, like um, whether it's um, pursuing something like you guys were doing in the political realm or, or whatever, um, and you are coming from a place of a good heart with, with good intentions where you're not trying to, you're not ultimately wanting to manipulate or make anyone do anything that they don't want to do, right? It's not like, Hey, what is it going to take for me to get this sign on your lawn? Because I'm not leaving until right. this sign's on your lawn, <laughs> right? That's the go for yes person. The, per- the person standing at their door going, um, gosh, I don't know. Now you're scaring me, right? No, it's just, it's, you don't have to be pushy. You don't have to be aggressive. It's just about asking. And at the point that the, the person says no, like you said, no, I've had enough. That's like all I'm interested in contributing or doing. Then that's it. You're done. But so hey, thanks have, for all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, you don't have you don't have to be you don't have to be pushy. You know how I, I think about it. Like if I had the cure to cancer, uh, I would feel like it was my responsibility to go tell as many people about it as possible. And you know, even if I had the cure to cancer, there is a substantial number of people who'd be like, "That's okay. I got this thing that's working for me. I'm not. I don't really believe you." You know, like even if I legitimately had it, there would be plenty of people who still said no. But I just would feel like it was my responsibility to go and tell as many people as possible. I don't know. That's how I feel about the whole concept. Absolutely. So if your intentions are always good and you believe that you have something that other people can benefit from, whether it's a product, service, idea, whatever, um, look at parents, you know, always asking their kids to do this, do that. It's all of that's designed to raise them into halfway decent human beings, right? So... There's a reason. There's good intentions behind asking for things. Well, so one more big idea is that no doesn't mean no forever. And kids are a great example of this. I I would love to hear an example in your own business. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a business standpoint, um, we have wanted to work with certain clients and and kind of come up with lists of, of our perfect clients. And I've I've quote unquote, marketed to them, kept and sent emails, sent packages, sometimes for years. I think our record, and I expect that at some point we'll get some yeses uh, still that are even longer, but there was a company that I wanted to work with. It took nine years. So (laughs) (laughs) the idea of no doesn't mean never, no means not yet is that, yeah, there's, there's things that if you're patient and people ask me all the time, well, how long 
should I go? Like, how long do I have to go? And if you talk to artists, people who write books, people who want to make movies, sometimes it takes you, you hear them on stage accepting their Academy Award. It takes <laughs> years for this these projects to go through. They hear tons of no's from producers, investors, from actors. It is nothing but a, um, a, a path littered with failures. And now you're standing on the stage winning the Academy Award and people go like, oh my gosh, how did you do it? That's amazing. Well, it wasn't easy. It was failure after failure, no after no. And that's why no doesn't mean never. If you're committed to something, the answer of how long should I stay in? How long should it take is if you're committed to it, if you're passionate about it, well, the answer is as long as it takes. And, and I think people will like see your perseverance as like a very big positive and not annoying. So in my very first company, there would be people who I would contact with zero response for six months. I just like contacted them every three weeks. And six months later, they called as if I had just left the first message and they were like, we need some help, you know, and and they saw every single message that I left as me being a hardworking, tenacious person who would do the same on their project. Absolutely. And I love that. It's a perfect example. And it's kind of like even on the backside of that is, you know, following up when you tell somebody like, okay, so you're not interested now. Well, you know, I'll check back with you in three months just to see if anything's changed for you. And it doesn't matter, again, what it is. If you call back that person, you've actually demonstrated that you care enough to call back to see like, how's it going? You know, maybe can I help you anymore at this point, as opposed to, well, I'm not going to be persistent. They'll just see it as pushy. So I'm not going to bother to follow up with them. And now you've reinforced their belief that you weren't a caring person, that you just wanted to make that one sale, right? I mean, it's amazing how all of these things work together. I think people do value persistence. There is a fine line. I get it. It's people don't want to be perceived as pushy and no one wants to be that person who calls every day and is like making you crazy. And, you know, you have to take out a restraining order. That's obviously not what I'm suggesting, but I don't, I haven't heard that many stories of salespeople getting restraining orders filed against them. So until we get to that <laughs> we're not point, encouraging that. Yeah. yeah, we're not encouraging that, but until we get to that point, then I'll go out with a, a um, public service announcement on that. But until we're there, then I'm not going to worry about that as a big issue. There's so many big ideas in this tiny book. And I feel like it's more big ideas per page than any other book that I've read for this podcast. And one of my favorites is the idea of setting no goals. And in our class, we talk about how everybody plans for success in their project, but few people plan for failure. And I just think properly thinking about how many no's, how many failures you're going to have is going to set you up for success. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So setting a no goal is kind of like setting, it's just, it's like setting a yes goal. It is like traditional goal setting, but just setting a goal for the number of no's you're going to hear. And so the kind of the classic example, and I'll use an example that I think more people can relate to. I mean, if, if I told you to go out and, um, and sell, uh, three boxes of Girl Scout cookies and, I said, you know, go out and, and get those three yeses, one per box, right? Um, without necessarily, you wouldn't know how many doors that you'd need to knock on. But I said, instead of worrying about sell- selling these three boxes, I just want you to go to every door and knock on it and offer the Girl Scout cookies and try to get 100 no's. Like try to, try to go to so many doors that you get 100 no's. Do you think you'd sell those three boxes plus 
get a ton of orders for the boxes that you did not have, as opposed to going out and selling those three boxes, you'd probably sell them pretty quickly and easily, and then stopping. Yeah, you'd be done. You'd be done. And so that's really, it's kind of a hack against our own self-imposed limitations. And where I think this is really powerful is, um, and not that I've done personally a lot of work in this area, but I've partnered and been on some trainings with a, a couple people in the fundraising area and um, and nonprofits, right, who are raising money to help the uh, local economies around the world, who are an- into anim- saving animals, I mean, you name it, um, the environment. And they have causes and they need help. And the only way that they can get help and get the resources and the manpower and everything they need is they have to go out and they have to ask. And so instead of putting limits on themselves, it's really important for them to just say, you know what, I'm going to, instead of having a goal to raise $20,000 this month, I'm just going to have a goal to talk to a thousand people. And if we get to 20,000, great. Maybe we'll get to 50,000 because I won't stop at 20,000. I mean, I believe in this concept so much, and I think it applies not just for sales, not just for fundraising, but any kind of big project that you have, we plan on it going well. And my silly example is the other day, my son who's sick said, I think I want to learn how to juggle because he saw me doing it. And I said, great. How many failed attempts do you think it'll take before you learn how to juggle? And he said, I don't know, like 60 times it won't work. And I was like, no, I think you're really underestimating it. And for most people, I think we grossly underestimate how many failures there's, it's going to take to get to when somebody's going to accept the project, when it's going to work, when customers are going to start coming in and just setting that expectation up front and be like, oh my God, this is going to take a thousand times. Okay, well, I better get started. You know, we'll really make it much more enjoyable ride. <laughs> Absolutely. You have expectations and you have a certain level of acceptance. And then to use your son, and he's the perfect example. Like in those six, let's just say 60 failures or in those several hundred, it's not that he's going to do it the same way every time. The 60th failure and the 100th failure will be very different than the first failure. Like the first failure that he does attempting to juggle will just be a mess, right? It'll be a disaster. The 60th and the 100th and the 200th will be so much better because he's going to be failing differently by then because he's going to have learned some things and have some different skills. So that's what we always have to remember is to find value in those failures. You get better as you go along. You're not going to be failing the same way. So that 200th failure for him probably won't feel anywhere near as deflating. It actually will be like, wow, I'm getting so close. That was so much better, (laughs) right? Um, And as you probably know that from having done it. And I think that's like it with anything. I I love that that concept. What do you see as the biggest barriers as you go into organizations when trying to implement this concept, that it's not just a motivational pep talk that people are listening to right now, but that they actually make it a part of their everyday lives? Well, it's like anything else. Um, This is a great concept. It's a great strategy. Uh, The thing that I love most about it is that when people do read the book like you have, they typically have those light bulb moments and they go like, I get it and I can implement it. Um, and we kind of joke, we call it motivation <laughs> instead of motivation. Um, you have to stay motivated, right? You have to remember it. And so like any concept or strategy that you learn, whether it's um, you know time management skills or anything, it's only as good as how often you put it into practice. 
and people forget. And I cannot tell you how many times people have said to me over the years, I need to go back and reread Go For No. I'm not doing it. Like I forget it. And just keeping those concepts alive is hard. And it's, I go through the same thing. I, I'm a voracious student of personal development and I hear stuff all the time and I go like, I know that. <laughs> I know that. I know that. And then I go like, but I'm not I doing do it. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do I really know it? Um, it's amazing how much I know, uh, but I don't do. So keeping that alive and in organizations, that's when it really comes to those leaders who love it, who live it, who reinforce it, and who you know try to keep it alive and not forget about it. But you know, and you've probably seen this too in organizations. Oftentimes, there's kind of the program du jour. It's the program of the month. We're going to roll this thing out. We're going to do it. And then the next month, there's some other bright, shiny object program of the month. And all I can do, because as someone who comes in from the outside, um, is you just hope that the things that you have stick and that in those moments, people will remember, um, oh, I should just go for, I have nothing to lose. I, I don't have this now. I should ask and I should just go for no. And that's why that phrase is really powerful because if you can just have that phrase that jogs your memory, um, you can implement it. So I, I usually leave going, I just hope that in those moments they remember it. Well, you've been doing this now for 20 years. What has your evolution been like on the concept? Like, is it any different than what it was like when the book was first published? It is. Re- that's a really great question. No one has ever asked me that. It is very different. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, it's very different. I, I look back to how we used to teach and train it, and we were much more closer to the things in the book, I think, then. And I have kind of gravitated, and maybe this is like how when you, <laughs> this is going to sound really egotistical, I hope it doesn't come off this way, um, but I'm going to use the analogy anyway. You know how when you hear a musician who's like famous for a song and you go to their concert and they play it like all differently and you're like, I just wanted to hear the song as I heard it on the radio 10 years ago. Why are you messing with it? And you have to play it all weird, right? And I think maybe it's because for them, it's like they've been doing it for so long, they've got to mix it up. So to me, I've gone kind of off in different in different topics. And I talk a lot more now about valuing no, seeing it as a gift. Um, I've come up with analogies and concepts that I was never talking about 10 years ago. And I talk a lot more about taking no personally and not trying to find validation in other people's decisions. Um, Not something that I really focused on before. Before it was so much more just the tactical go for no, this is a numbers game. Make a numbers, right, right, right. Yeah, numbers game philosophy. and, And I'm far more into the emotion of it because now and the benefits of how you can become more confident and more courageous from it, which is a great side benefit than just, hey, you're going to make an extra three grand this month because you got some extra sales. Like, that's great. But I don't know. I guess I have just evolved more on the emotional side of it. I love it. Well, uh, in researching you and your work, I found uh, a bunch of really fun uh, different things that you have tried over the years. Uh, I mean, you've clearly been successful in this one. I'm just curious, as our listeners want to find out more about you and what it is that you're spending your time on now, wh- where, which of the businesses should they go to look at? 
Uh, we'll definitely go to gophernode.com. That is still our main business. We like to call that our golden goose. <laughs> so um, we, we love it. And it, we, I, I will never um, not talk about GoForNow. Um, over the years, we've written a lot of fiction and we actually help people now. Um, one of the things that we we're looking to do is to help people who want to write books, write books, and do it, uh, learn from all of our fantastic mistakes, which as I told you in the beginning of the show here. Um, so that's kind of one of our, our other things. But gophernow.com for sure if you want to really dig into the, all of these ideas. And I've got tons of blogs for people to read um, in addition, of course, to reading the book, which is kind of the, the foundation. Well, it's, um, like I said, the, the fastest read with the most punches uh, that you'll experience. And, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Diana. This was a super fun chat. I hope you enjoyed that awesome conversation. I know that I'm fired up to go get some no's out there. And I'm going to start with this one. Please take a minute to review the show and make sure that you're subscribed. And if you want to keep chatting about Go For No or any of the other concepts we've talked about on the show, you got to check out our Facebook group. It's called Professional AF Podcast Insiders. Uh, it's a great place for conversation and for people to interact with one another. Thank you for listening. I'm Diana Kander. So grateful for your time. And here remind you that curiosity is your superpower. So make sure you use it today. 